0: Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'm delighted to be your host today. And joining me, it's our transfer guru, Mister Dean Jones. How you doing, mate?
2: Yeah, I'm good, mate. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. It's gonna be perhaps a little chaotic because we are about to dart all around the world in all sorts of different directions. Um, But this is what makes Ranks FC fun. We do different pods to all the other ones out there. And we like to cover as much football as we possibly can. And this seems a week when we can go a little bit off piste and just give people some football chat that they are 100% not getting anywhere else right now. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're going to do is
0: going to rank some league leaders from around the world. Now, you know, first off, a caveat and an apology if your nation, if your country hasn't made it in here, we picked 10 <laughs> and we've just decided we're going to run with them. So yeah. that's where we've fallen. But yeah, apologies, we are not claiming to, to be ranking every single race around the world. No, It'll be we a did long, long, long tough. Episode.
2: And we did for a moment consider doing that. It's absolutely impossible. We definitely don't watch enough football. More than that, we don't have access that good to. Even like Mexico, special sorry to Mexico, I think. So we've got quite a lot of uh, listeners who support Mexican clubs and probably wanted uh, to be included here. But Liga MX is difficult. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> like it, it really is. Um, so, yeah, there are some along the way that I apologize for. But I think you'll all still enjoy it. Like there's, there's, some, there's some fun ones in here that we've included beyond the top five leagues in Europe that we normally talk about. Yeah. Well, we've, we've picked the top seven of the European leagues we've picked the Premier League,
0: La Liga. Ligue 1, Serie A, the Bundesliga. We've added the Eredivisie and the Primeira Liga in Portugal. And then we're going to take as well the league leaders in Saudi Arabia, MLS and the Brasileirao. So... There's the 10. <laughs> that's the 10. There you that's go, where people. we're falling. And um, we're going to work our way through this. And then at the end of the episode, as ever, we've got a couple of hot takes to dissect as well. So yeah. that's where we're falling today. Um, we're going to start at 10 and work our way up. But actually, this was more difficult a task than maybe I envisaged, Dane, because I don't think there's very much between the bottom four sides here. I don't think there's very much at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, drawing up the list has has obviously been tricky and we've been going backwards and forwards over WhatsApp uh, last night and this morning and trying to decide how we actually differentiate between these clubs, especially as a couple of the teams that we're talking about, particularly uh, Brazil and America, they are deep into their seasons. And, oh, you know, most of these leagues, we're talking like five, six, seven games into a season. Yeah. but those guys are like, what, 30 games, 24 games. Um, so, yeah, they, there's definitely more thorough research that can be done, but also more ways to knock them down. Also, you look at points per game, and you're like, well, it's not really fair. They've played like 30 matches, whereas some of these have played like five. So, yeah, that, that is tricky. And the team that I actually thought would be bottom, just based on their name, um, are not bottom once we've, we've dug into it a little bit more. And I guess that's where you're coming from here because the number 10 team are having a fantastic season. Mm. But when you compare and contrast to all the other teams that they're up against in our World Super League here on Ranks FC, unfortunately, they just don't quite measure up.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll start at 10 with FC Cincinnati of MLS who have been sensational for the majority of this season. And I think it's important to kind of, contextualize this a little bit because since he obviously came up to MLS from the USL at the end of 2018 season it from 2019 through to 2021 they were if not MLS's worst side then definitely the Eastern Conference's worst side and they have turned that around through this period to become by far the standout team in MLS this season and there's a lot of chatter right now about into miami but obviously you know that only kicked in halfway through the season and just generally across the course of it i think it's been so impressive what Cincy have put together this year and you know part of that is not not just the fact that they are 11 points clear at the top of the east and 9 points clear of anyone else in the kind of full mls table i think it's the fact that the Eastern Conference for me this season, Dean, feels far stronger than the West. Now, St. Louis mm. have come in as expansion team. They look set to win the Western Conference. We saw LAFC fall away after their Champions League defeat. We saw the Seattle Sounders, you know, obviously back up in third now, but have a really tricky start. To the season in order to to get their things going, it just didn't feel like it was clicking. And St. Louis have sort of run away with it at the top of the West, but in the East it's been a scrum, I think. And you actually look at the teams below Cincinnati, Orlando on fifty one, Columbus on forty nine, Philadelphia on forty nine, Atlanta on forty nine, New England who've fallen away on forty nine, and Nashville who are a very very good side, a couple of points below them on on forty four, and that's the top you know two to seven in the east mm. and what since you've put together here and you, you've got to kind of look at the way that they uh, approach games because in the last six seven weeks since the league's cup it's been a little bit hit and miss it was until this weekend a two wins two draws two losses record but they won three nil against charlotte at mm-hmm. the weekend and Luciano Acosta scored one of the best goals you will see all season. It is Maradona-esque. He absolutely waltzes through the Charlotte back line. Since he didn't allow Charlotte's shot on target, and this is a Charlotte side who are, you know, in their own little fight to try and make the playoffs. So they are not by any stretch a bad side. Since he did this with 39% possession at home, at TQL. And what I've been, I think, most impressed with in this side this year, is their ability to mix it up. They can play incredibly direct football. And obviously their director of football is ex-Philadelphia Union, similar kind of style. But when you kind of put it all together, their ability to mix things up, to play some games, and just be like, yeah, you have the ball. We'll cut you apart to ribbons in transition. But then other games where they're like, okay, we'll have the ball. No problem at mm. all. And I think the addition of Bupenza to play alongside Brandon Vasquez, has just opened up more and more for Acosta. He is by far and away the leading candidate for MVP in MLS this year. I really like Jess Mosquera at the back. We've seen some really impressive performances. Santiago Arias came in uh, at right wing back. And on the other side of that, you have Barayal. And between them, the creativity and what they offer to this Cincy side has been so, so important going forward. And it is, it does often feel like that front five. So, Rapenza and Vasquez up front. Acosta basically being given license to do whatever he likes in that 10 role, And then Barial and Arias driving forward to support. And the, the you know, kind of two centre midfielders and the three centre-backs sit and hold. And I feel a little bit, uh, it feels a little bit unfair putting them 10th because they've been brilliant. But equally, I think if we played this as a league season... Which uh-huh. is kind of, I think, how we're going to do this in one-off games. I don't think there's much between the the Cincinnati side and the three sides above them, but I think over the course of a season, there might just be a little bit more in the in the sides around them that, that the commission, but you know equally when we're going to look at some of the other sides i think we might have to you know just discuss this this four at, at length again once we've yeah. once we've got through them if you will
2: yeah and i think that's fine and and also in cincinnati's defense like they've just bounced back from a bit of a slump in their season but they have now played 30 games across their season so as i say like they have played more games than anybody else that we're going to talk about today um and you get someone like lucho costa like he's a standout player for them, obviously. And, you know, we're not going to talk about Argentinian football here, but at least we're talking about an Argentinian footballer um, doing some special stuff. So that's good. But in the next couple of the months. The best Argentinian
0: fun? number 10 in the league, someone say.
2: In the world, yeah, someone say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this side could go on and win Supporters Shield, but also win MLS Cup. If we get to that stage, then perhaps you can start to. Gauge better how they would fare in those really, really big one off matchups against, like, in, in matches that they have to win. And then you could say how they would fare against some of these other big teams that we're going to talk about today. But, like, Cincinnati, I'm sure, are just happy to be in this conversation right now. The fact that um, they've risen. To get into a conversation on Ranks FC, whereby we're talking about them as league leaders of the world, um, that's a great conversation to be in. Even if you are bottom of this Super League, um, they have lost four of their thirty matches, and I just think that look, if you could compare all the other sides that are in this list, most of these teams wouldn't have played thirty MLS matches and probably lost four of them. So that's. It's just high expectations, high standards you're setting them against here. But Cincinnati, like whenever I've seen them, have been um, very impressive. And I am genuinely looking forward to seeing how they get on um, in the next stage of the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to nine, which is where I've put the other side who have played 20-odd games in the season so far. Uh, Botafogo, who lead the Brasileirao. And... I think the reason that they are low here is because they've had, a, you know, they've had a wonderful season, 16 wins from 24 games, three draws, five losses. Three of those five losses have come in their last three games. So mm. it has hit a little bit of a slump uh, at this point in the season. But the reason that they're low is because I'm not convinced that Botafogo fans think they're that good. Oh. Now, there is a kind of weird overarching thing going on here. They are owned by John Texter who also owns Crystal Palace, who owns Leon, And when he took over this side, he spoke a lot of big talk. He said that they were, you know, he wanted them to play the Botafogo way. He wanted them to dial in on playing attractive football. He, pr- he basically spent his first press conference talking about how much he loved Bernardo Silva and Manchester City. And I think a lot of fans were dreaming of moving away from this kind of pragmatic style that had got them promoted. Now, Botafogo are a who, and you know, in many ways, a little bit like Cincinnati, obviously there's no pro rel in, in MLS, but who have bounced around between the divisions in the past couple of years and who have kind of been in the shadow of more illustrious neighbors, I think generally mm. o- over the course of the last couple of, of, of seasons. And it's felt like a real moment for them to, to be one back among the big time, but then to go and big wins against Flamengo, for example, you know, early on in this season. The season started really well. Now, you know, there's different championships in Brazil, so it's quite hard to sometimes get a full handle on everything that's going on. But they basically played in the Rio Championship beforehand and they were quite bad. And everyone was a bit angry with all of this and how it was kind of going on. And they stopped basically... Playing, they, You know, they, they sacked the coach who got them promoted, Anderson Moreira. Um, and they brought in Luis Castro, who has now left the club. Um, he, was, he was attracted by the Saudi Arabian project, but also supporters were just not particularly pleased with the way he was playing. And so it's a really strange thing in that they are top of the league. They're seven points clear of Palmeiras in second place. And yet there's this overarching feeling that they haven't been that fun. Now, the man who took over from Castro was Bruno Lage, who obviously was last seen at Wolverhampton Wanderers. And let's be honest, Portofogo are pretty, you know, they're rudimentary. They're, they're pretty rugged. They're pretty rustic. They play with winning the ball high up, but they also play with a load of crosses. They put more crosses into the box than any other side in the division. They have Tiquinho Suárez up top, who used to play for Porto. Very good player, um, but he is the kind of linchpin around what it works. And the signing of Diogo Costa, which was very interesting earlier in the the season, to come on and try and co- provide some competition, has seemed to work because Suárez's goal record um, at Botafogo has been pretty sensational. To be honest, since he joined in 2022, he has scored 28 goals in, in 50 games. He's on. 25 in 39 for this season so far. It's been pretty magnificent, to, to be perfectly honest with you. He has been a revelation up there. And yet it does feel like supporters are still pretty uncomfortable with the way that Botafogo are playing, the The fact that it is a bit agricultural in, in what they're trying to do. There's a lot of headers, there's a lot of crosses. They defend deep and they have a brilliant goalkeeper who keeps them in games. <laughs> that's yeah. the, that's the thing. Lucas Perry, he spent the season at Crystal Palace, I think, um, but never actually played. He's gone back and he has really, really shone in his Botafogo side. So the way you're looking at it and, and kind of taking things apart, they are here on merit in terms of the fact that they are knocked out the cup. They're knocked out the Sud America. They have pretty much only the league to focus on. And that's not the case for many of their rivals at the top of this division. But, the fact that the fans aren't all that happy despite the fact that they are top of the league is why I've put them down here at the bottom as opposed to any kind of slight on the Brasileirao.
2: Yeah no that seems that seems fair I mean of all these teams they are definitely the one that um I know the least about um so I'm very very interested in, in what I've just heard and what uh what we'd be getting from them um, just by, by totting them up and also reason they might be ahead of, of Cincy, um, when you add up the points per game that uh, they've, they've they tied up they are slightly ahead of cincinnati so far this season so they got 51 points from their 24 games and it's very very slightly ahead of what cincinnati have managed so far this season so it's another reason that they might have just edged cincinnati down to 10th but do you, the uh, other reason, do you think the other reason the other reason
0: I'd have them well you know in a one off game i think cincinnati might well have them but actually yeah. the interesting thing is that Botafogo seem to have been better against teams that are better than them or best them on paper And so the fact that they are in the bottom of a kind of league here with a lot of teams who on paper are better than them might just give them the edge over since if this was played out as a league season. So that was part of my thinking as well.
2: Yeah, no, that's really interesting, mate. Um, Nice one. I'm going to move us on to eighth position and a team that, well, this is the team that I thought I'd be putting in at 10th today before we properly started Digging into this, it's the team who currently lead Liga in France. It's not Paris Saint Germain, it's Brest. Brest are the league leaders in France right now. They have 13 points after six matches. Um, this is a story that nobody thought they would be reporting on right now, least of all me. Um, but yeah, they have actually managed to lose one of their six games so far this season, but. You can't really knock a team that have managed to get ahead of PSG at any stage of the season, let alone after six matches, obviously helped by the fact that PSG, from their six matches so far this season, they've drawn two and lost one. So that's what's opened the door here for Brest to kind of make a mark on the season that nobody saw coming. Now, their coach is a guy called Eric Roy, who was appointed at the start of the year. When he was appointed at Brest, um, they were basically tipped for relegation. A lot of people across France were like, nah, this ain't the one. This guy um, has really got no foundations uh, to call upon in terms of, of club management. Uh, used to be a, a player. He worked a bit as a sporting director. I think he even cropped up at Watford at one point. It
0: was wild uh, though, because he'd had one year of managerial experience. And that was at Nice a decade beforehand. Nice. Yeah, it, that's it, right. Like yeah. really, really random.
2: Yeah, so Nice was a team I think he was tied into quite, quite closely. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so he was, he was put in place. Nobody expected anything. What's he doing? He's got them playing some lovely stuff and they're top of the league. This is absolutely sensational. Um, Their last match, they, they managed a 1-0 win over Lyon and Muni, their striker. Uh, proper number nine, like comes in with this like proper old school header, gets them the 1-0 win and you're like properly rolling back the years. Now they actually play against Nice at the weekend. Nice are currently second in Ligue 1. So that's the, really a, a game where we're going to gauge like what they're all about because their actual defeat so far came against the only big, good club that they've really come up against. They played Marseille and they lost 2-0. Mm. So another reason that they're down there in our ratings uh, in terms of this, this league table is... Um, is for that. They have got some nice players. They've got a nice centre-back called Chardonnay. Not like the wine, it's spelled slightly different. Uh, but uh, he, he's, he seems to be a good player from my one day of deep analysis that I've, I've been doing on this team beyond the one match that I watched last week. Um, a couple of good midfielders too, Magnetti and Lise Milou, who scored a lovely goal a couple of weeks ago. He was at Norwich um, for a while. Yes, he was at Norwich for a while. Um, he, he scored a lovely goal two weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, this is a team that a kind of top of the league by circumstance because PSG have dropped off. But I want to give them credit because Monaco have been playing well this season and they're not in first place. Nice have been playing well this season and they're not in first place. And Brest have quietly gone about playing some really nice stuff and have managed to assert themselves at the top of Ligue 1. This is their best ever start to a Ligue 1 season. They weren't actually founded until 1950, I found out, which is pretty late in There's terms of European quite football.
0: young French clubs though.
2: Yeah, um, in terms of the, the kind of uh, company they'll be keeping higher up in this division, they'll certainly welcome their spot here. But yeah, in eighth spot, um, well done to Brest. And if you get a chance to watch them, I definitely recommend it because they are a surprisingly good watch.
0: They're, they're another one who are a little bit agricultural right you know that you got to give all credit but a couple of things so when i talked to luke entwistle here on our league arm preview show we really had a we had a discussion about breast which was like is this going to be a season too far for them because they've been relatively lucky not to get relegated in the mm. last couple of seasons partly you know there have been teams that have been worse and partly there have been moments of really good form that have kept them together. Now, Brest actually had a really good start, I think about a decade ago. They were first in the table for about, I don't know, 10 games or so. I remember this really early on in sort of my watching League on days. And they completely and utterly collapsed in the second half of the season, finished 15th or 16th, and you know, and fell away. So we're gonna hope that this doesn't happen to them again. But what I have kind of noticed is they do the basics really well. And when you're kind of looking at what, what they do, they, they, we've talked about this in, in agricultural football, et cetera. They, they put a lot of crosses into the box. They have some really interesting footballers in, in, in the kind of mix, but mostly, you know, they, they just do the basics and they, they roll with it. Now there are good players in this team. Martin Satriano is there. He was on loan from Inter a couple of years ago. Uh, he went back to Inter after a good season, went to Empoli on loan last year, didn't really do very much. And basically then the players, the clubs that were interested the year before, dropped away and Press were able to to sign him back. They lost Frank Honorat in the summer. He finally departed the club after basically being the sole reason they'd kept their head above water for a couple of years. But just when you kind of look at all of it put together, I think of all of the teams in this list, Brest are the least convincing in terms of what I think that their long-term plan is and long-term strategy is in terms of their league. But what we've seen from them so far and the way that they've been able to you know, put things together at the start of the season, they haven't had the injury crises that yeah. have perhaps plagued them in recent years. And I do think if they do get a couple of key injuries they could be in big trouble. But for now, we can only judge them on what we're seeing. And what we're seeing is a very solid side who know how to soak up pressure, who like putting balls in the box for Satriano and Mounier to attack, um, and who are able to make the most of things in both boxes. And so far, so good for a side that many, including myself, would tip for relegation.
2: Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, um, Keep an eye on them. Like, even if they can end up in that, that conversation towards the top end of the table, it's remarkable, really. To be honest, uh, the, the manager's already
0: said, he was like, we're you know, a third of the way there to the points we might need to stay up. And I think that that is the the kind of moment you're like, okay, yeah, cool. that's fine. No problem.
2: Yeah. Like if Fulham were top of the Premier League at this point, you're not going to be getting carried away. You're just happy to be in talks about. Um, let's move on to number seven. And a team that have caused a bit of controversy, but they do deserve some respect in the way that they play football. It's Al Ittihad who currently lead the Saudi Pro League. Um, yes, this is the team that that tried to sign Mo Salah from Liverpool, and they still have intentions to try to sign Mo Salah from Liverpool. They are the defending champions in the Saudi Pro League too. So this is a team that already had strong foundations, and then they they added uh a few nice pieces to the squad um when it came to recruitment in in the January, in the summer transfer window. Um they signed you know players like Fabinho and uh N'Golo Kante and uh Benzema like they signed some decent players actually in the in the summer and as a result they are they are heading the Saudi Pro League. They have lost a game they lost to al Hilal, the other really good team in Saudi Pro League right now. They lost that game 4-3 and our mate Mitro scored a hat-trick for al Hillel uh, in that match. Now, what I would say our is like, mate. our old mate, exactly, um, for all of the doubts I have about wanting to watch the Saudi Pro League, for all the concerns I have over it, for all the Mm, not so good games that you might see along the way. When you see the best teams in the Saudi Pro League play, they're actually pretty good. There are four good teams, basically, in Saudi Pro League. And when they go at each other, you get great games like that Al-Hilal al Ittihad had one. Now, what I would say too is that in Angolo Kante, they have still one of the best midfielders in the world. And I was watching his last performance. He actually scored the other day. They won 2-1 and, and Kante got the winner. And I was watching him. Uh, run rings around everyone basically he found it as easy as he finds it anywhere else and I was like this is it right Kante if he still played for Chelsea he wouldn't just be like in that team every week he would be the best midfielder every week he might be the captain every week and he might be the best player on the pitch every week for either team like, Kante is still playing top, top level stuff. Obviously, by the time he was winding down at Chelsea and ended up losing him, like, we'd not seen him too much for a while because of the injuries he'd been he'd been having. But Kante is proper Kante at the moment. And given that they've got Benzema up top as well and they've got a few nice pieces around and they're the defending champion, so they've got a bit of structure and belief and confidence about their play already, they're actually a pretty good team. So, Ality had would actually go up against some of these teams that are going to be higher up for them in the league. And do you know what? They'd actually give them a pretty good game. Like There there would be actually some interest from me to see them up against some of the teams that we're going to talk about higher up just to see how they fare. They've played seven matches so far. They've managed to get um, 18 points on the board. They've got a goal difference of 13. Like It's all pretty convincing that this is a team that deserves to be where they are right now. And it probably is out of them and Al Hillel to go on and and win the league but yeah I'm not saying like go and watch all the Saudi pro league matches but do dip your toes in and give Al Itihad or Al Halal a watch at some point but particularly Al Itihad just to see Kante if you want like Kante's still there people he's still doing his thing he's still a lovely man give it a go (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he is he is a nice man um I, i'm still not convinced by this and i i've I, i've bowed to your your greater fire having watched zero of the saudi pro league here but I, I i remain unconvinced that this side with a group of aging veterans would outdo maybe any of the sides below them but i'll I take your point in that oh they would they do all of them players. promise
2: they would mm-hmm. they would yeah,
0: I mean I'm I'm we'll see. I'm sure we will see when we we get to things like the club world cup etc. So
2: we're going to organize this tournament aren't we? We're going to we're going to turn this into a proper <laughs> tournament at the end. So uh, in the summer at the end of this season we're going to see this all play out because we're going to organize it.
0: Okay. All right, let's take a break there uh, and afterwards we will be looking at the top 6 in our mini worldwide super league. Don't go anywhere.
3: And use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Picks daily fantasy sports made easy.
1: Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Price Picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/play100 and use code Play100. That's code Play100 at slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy.
0: Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we are working through a hypothetical World Super League. We're ranking 10 of the world's league leaders in uh, a situation that pits them against each other in a league format. We have done the bottom four. We are on to the top six. Uh, DJ, who's in sixth?
2: We've got PSV Eindhoven, um, a team that are having a really, really strong season. In fact, when I was looking at like the points per game table, I mean, they were already up there. They, they've won all five of, of their matches so far uh, in the league this season, um, but also they had the best goal difference record. So out of these 10 teams, they would actually be top of the league if you were to just look at it from that point of view. When they went into their match against Arsenal in the Champions League last week, um, we were talking about it in the build-up when we did we did a Patreon show and somebody wrote in a question saying, uh, what do we think? He predicted that Arsenal would win 3-1 or something. And I said, I don't think it'll be as big as that. Like PSV will keep it tighter than that. PSV have been like battering everyone. Like they beat Rangers 5-1 in the Champions League playoffs. Mm-hmm. And like so many times this season, PSV win 4-0. Like the two games that preceded the Arsenal game, they won 4-0. The game after playing Arsenal they won 4-0 but they went to arsenal and they lost 4-0 so like you've got you've got to like be careful about how you judge this team right now so look they obviously do look very good in terms of a domestic point of view but the fact is that it's very hard to work out how that compares to everybody else. Ajax in Holland obviously having an absolute disaster of a season. They're currently 14th in the league. They have played less games than everybody else, but they're still having a bad season. It, it doesn't like matter X. because they're about to lose the
0: game that gets, gets given back because it's going to start 3-0 down in the 55th minute.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and then so next next to them, you've got Azad Alkmaar um, coming up and they, they're also uh, on five out of five wins, but... It's it's PSV just blitzing blitzing it in terms of goals scored at the moment that that is really helping them out and they have been in a very attractive team to watch and they fully deserve to be involved in this conversation right now. But if we're making an overall table and I have to start knocking them down from their perch of being top on, um, you know, points gained so far across the season, well, I look say, okay, well, we've seen you now play against a team that is better than all your domestic competition. And you've been absolutely battered by Arsenal 4-0. So then you've got to be careful about, right, what's the reading of this team? What is their what is their true level? And I think it's somewhere around here.
0: Yeah, I mean, they have had a bit of a soft launch, if you will, in the Eredivisie. <laughs> they played Utrecht, and then they played Vitesse, they played Valvik, they played NEC Nijmegen, and then they played Almere. So it has been... You know, a start to the season, you'd kind of look at it. You know, the highest of those teams that they've played so far is 10th. And that, that's Nijmegen. They're on seven points from six games. So, you know, you're looking at quite a lot of the time, teams in and all around the relegation scrap so far. The good news from a PSV perspective is that it continues to be a relatively soft launch for a little while longer. I mean, they play Go Ahead Eagles on the day that this podcast will come out. um, They play Volendam. Next weekend, they play Sparta-Rotterdam, they play Fortuna-Sittard, they play an Ajax-siding crisis, they play Heracles-Almelo, and then they get into Pex Volo, they get into Twente, and then Feyenoord, then Heron and then RZ Alkmaar. And then you're like, okay, fine. That four-game, five-game run between Twente, Feyenoord, Heron and and Alkmaar is the, is the kind of point you see, or we see, what this team actually looks like. But the fact that they've managed to to get a, a schedule like this where they'll run up into that big period of games, potentially unbeaten, potentially perfect in the league, is a big, big kind of plus. I think from from their perspective, it's allowed them to ease into this season. And, and you know, there was a lot of change in the summer at PSV. We saw Ruud van Nistelrooy depart the, the club. We saw a new manager installed. There have been big players who have le- left the club in the last year, 12 months 18 months and so actually this has been a period of relative you know consternation and yet this start has been excellent luke de jong feels like he's he's reborn in in this role having Lozano came in from napoli on on the right wing that's a really exciting one noah lang's there johan bakiyoko is one of the most exciting front lines I've seen. And behind De Jong, you've got Ricardo Pepe, who's got, I think it's four goals in his last five games for club and country. Absolutely cooking. And i keeping that pressure on De Jong to continue performing. And he has performed throughout this season. a test, and I really, really like in the middle. And then you've got Goose Till, Joe Verman. There's a lot to like about this side. Sergio Dest has come in and been important. Malik Tillman missed the game at the weekend because he overslept, which was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Just generally, I think this squad has really good depth. I think it's a very, very strong shout in terms of who wins the league this year. Now, final are reigning champions, but there are question marks over whether that is you know, as sustainable. If Santi Jimenez continues to play like this, then probably is. But I think in terms of depth, this PSV side feels stronger than a lot of the competition, especially with Ajax, this poor. And I've been really impressed with them so far, aside from that Arsenal game, as you say. And the problem with that was that Not only did they lose, and look, it's okay to go and lose and and also have a few put past you in a bit of a blitz spell at the Emirates, because we know that Arsenal are capable of doing that kind of thing. But it was the way that they really failed to carve out any clear-cut opportunities of their own, despite the fact that there were a lot of incredibly talented players on the pitch. Now, I thought Serginho Dest in that game was absolutely excellent. I thought he cooked Ben White down that left-hand side for a fair bit of the game, but it left them a little bit exposed. And they couldn't get someone like Saibari, who was so important in that win against Rangers where they dominated completely into the game. They couldn't really get Bakayoko into the game. Those things worried me. And the fact that they allowed Belakotchap to be left one-on-one, you know, with, defend- with Gabby Jesus running at him is not ideal when mm. when you're trying to put together a side that's going to conquer teams who might be better on paper than you. So that's why I think this PSV side Four to sixth. Although again, I don't think I think there's a pretty big gap between PSV and sixth, and Aliatyad in seventh. I don't think there's a massive gap between four, uh, five, and six.
2: Yeah, although kante no, Ben's no. Good. This PSV side both, would tear them apart. Both walked straight into that team.
0: They would tear them apart. This PSV side, pace mm. the pace of it, the ability in transition, it, it would it would absolutely tear the side a side of veterans apart. I'm, I'm sorry.
2: I think you're underestimating Ali he had my new team. But anyway, <laughs> let's move. Um, I'm more interested actually into the team that you've put at number five because I didn't really know where to go in this mid-table point. And uh, it was a team that you've got far more knowledge of me. Actually, FC Porto were top in Portugal when we came up with the idea of this um, at the start of the week. And then you were like, hang on, we can't actually count on that. Sporting are playing on uh, on, on Monday night and they probably will win. So by the time we get to the show, uh, Porto probably won't be top. And indeed, they're not. It's Sporting, isn't it, at number five?
0: Yeah, they've taken 16 points from six games. Uh, so have Porto, but Sporting have the better goal difference so far. I, again, I don't think there's much between them. I would have had them both in at this position. Um, and But Sporting have been really, really impressive so far. They're unbeaten in any competition uh, across the course of this. And what we're seeing, I think, is a return to the Amorim style of play that won so many admirers when they won the league a couple of years back. It was, it was a little bit of a fall-off last year. Obviously, they lost Polina and Matthias Nunes in the same season. They struggled to replace them. They have found the replacement. And his name is Morten Hjulmand, and he was signed from Lecce this summer. And he is an animal in the middle of the pitch. He is absolutely... Brilliant. And I was talking to a friend of the pod, Zach Lowy, on Twitter about him last night. He has been so, so brilliant since he stepped into this side. He suddenly they look cohesive in the midfield again in a way that I think they struggled with a little bit last year. It's allowed Pedro Gonçalves or Poch to drop further up the pitch and, and create a little bit more. Um, and it's just given everybody this, especially this, you know, back line, that little bit more protection that makes them feel like they are solid again. Now, Inacio has been excellent when he's played for Portugal. He's been brilliant when he's played for Sporting. Sebi Coates is still there, the old war horse. And then Usman Diamande, who I think is one of the best young defenders in Europe, someone that Arsenal looked to sign this summer, a real talent and someone who I think is, is, is right on the up. But Sporting just looked cohesive again. And the way they're putting away teams of late, you know, they scored both goals within the first 25 minutes against Rio Ave last night. And I watched the game and it it felt like they were in such control from kind of the moment marcus edwards came up with a wonderful solo effort paulinho scored we've seen victor jokeres he didn't play last night he, did, he didn't need to take him off the bench and that kind of you know signing the one that kind of maybe went under the radar for people is that did you know that sporting signed ivan fresneda the player yes. everybody was linked everyone with. wanted Barcelona, yeah. arsenal all linked and Sporting dropped in at the end of the season and they bought Ivan Fresneda. Now, I think that ultimately he will replace Esgal on the right-hand side of this sort of 3-4-3, if you will. Um, and I think that's a really exciting thing for Sporting because I think they've got another player here. You know, obviously they sold Pedro Porto off to Tottenham for a big fee. Fresneda feels like the kind of person that they might well make a big profit on as well. And I think when you kind of look at this team... I don't know that there's much between the big three this season in Portugal. Now, Benfica have dropped off a tad, I think, um, with the way that they played at the end of last season and then into this. But I think that this is going to be a really competitive Liga Portugal this season. And I'm I'm really excited uh, about this sporting side. But I think Kuhlmann is the key. I think he is the person who has suddenly just made this side look a whole lot better. He has filled that Pelinha gap that perhaps didn't get filled by Jairamase Morita, much as I love Morita, is a very different player. Kielman has come in and provided that physicality, that dominance in the middle of the park that they were lacking last season. And this side looks like a title contender again. And I'm, I'm really excited about them.
2: Yeah, look, in terms of points per game and stuff like that so far, you've got Sporting who have played six games and they've got 16 points on the board. I mean, that puts them up with the likes of like Barcelona, to be honest, like in terms of like how they've started domestically. So, um, this isn't like us overestimating how this team has done so far. Obviously, they won in Europa League as well. Um, So they're up and running in that competition. Again, their players are being looked at um, by Premier League clubs. Uh, Monday the the young defender. He's being linked again with Arsenal, who have had an eye on him for a while. I mean, hopefully they can hold on to some of these players for a little while longer because you feel like they've got something good going on again. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like at fifth spot, that that does feel, in some people's eyes, they might feel like it's too high, but in terms of what you've just described, it seems pretty fair.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about watching this side this season. And no, I, I again, I don't think there's very much between them and PSV whatsoever. I think they are very, very similar level sides. Um, I just think that yeah. Sporting feels suddenly like they are more, they have that little bit of nouse about them again. And I'm I'm just impressed with, with what I've seen so far. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of d- discussion around those things, but um, I, I think that that's where I would have them. Right, yes. should we
2: move on? Yeah, definitely. Um So at number four, obviously it gets very tough here to separate um, these guys. You know who's coming. We haven't talked Bundesliga, uh, La Liga, Serie A or Premier League yet. And it's no surprise that these are the four leagues that we've got uh, left to come. But at number four, the league leaders in Germany are Bayern Munich. And they are, uh, yeah, following up the rest of the big guys at the moment. Um, We all know the upsides of this team. And obviously they've just handed out a Big, big uh, beating at the weekend, Um, 7-0 win for for Bayern Munich at the weekend, a Harry Kane hat-trick. We know that they're capable of that, though. Like, that's not how I judge Bayern Munich. I judge Bayern Munich on when it goes wrong, on the flaws. And they've been unconvincing to me in moments when they really needed to step up. And that Leverkusen game is one that I really judged them quite harshly on it was one whereby obviously like Leverkusen are here to, to try and play with the big boys and they want to make their mark on this league and they want to fight all the way. And Bayern were in command of that game a couple of times and, and Leverkusen kept plugging away and they managed to get a point out of it. And I don't think that was a good sign and that is one of the reasons that I have them right now uh, to be fourth in this list. They've played five games. They've got 13 points on the board so far. They're undefeated. Uh, but as I say, that draw, I don't know. i, I just, It just worried me a little bit. Obviously, they've been tinkering a bit too. And you've seen uh, structurally, the team have been a little bit all over the place at times and the formation they've been trying and Kimmich coming, starting at right back and ending in midfield. And they've tried all these sorts of things that haven't necessarily worked. But... Then there was the Man United game, and, and while, yes, they saw them off as we were expected, the fact they had a little wobble at the end as well, the United, that game ended 4-3, I don't think that's a brilliant sign. I know it doesn't necessarily matter. I know that Bayern could have probably won that game 6-1, but the fact it ended 4-3 does ring alarm bells a little bit for me. Um, and Definitely. the other thing 100%. is... 100%. Yeah.
0: It's that flip of the way that it's kind of set up in that, Bayern should have been out of sight and they just remain a little bit volatile almost. It's like, oh, cool. And we spoke about this. It didn't feel at any point like they were completely out of control of the game. You know, the way that they responded to both Manchester United goals by scoring another one to kind of keep the cushion. Didn't feel like, but there's an element of going, why? What's going on? There's a lot of contradiction within the side in that, they didn't feel like they were ever going to lose. And yet, you know, obviously it's the last kick of the game where, where Bruno Fernandes or Casemiro obviously heads it in, but they score the the free kick. But you're almost like, if there was another five minutes here, you've just put yourself under loads of unnecessary pressure. And it just kind of, the, there are still alarm bells screaming in my head. Obviously the summer was really, really volatile for Bayern Munich. We've seen Tuchel falling out or, or at least on the surface falling out with some of his players in the, in the likes of Joshua Kimmich. It's all just a little bit, I don't know, weird. It feels strange at Bayern. And there's a reason that I predicted that I think Leverkusen might win the league. Now, whilst that's still an outlandish (laughs) thing to say, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a a locked on, you know, set at all, but there's a reason it feels like other teams can challenge. And it's because there's something not quite right at Bayern and yet, and yet, part of me still thinks with this side when they click, could they win the Champions League? And I think the answer is still yes to that as well. So, yeah, it, totally. It, it, they're a bit, they're a bit of a funny one.
2: Yeah, and exactly. I just feel that they are vulnerable, particularly at the back. Like whoever partners Kim, I don't think that that's totally, totally sure at this stage. As we can see with the Leek and Upa Meccano, like neither of them completely trustworthy. Um, We talked about it on Patreon the other day. Um, But yeah, it's it's a a partnership problem, really. But they're good options to have, obviously. Like, all of them are extremely good players. It just feels like they haven't necessarily got it bang on yet. So I think that this is fair. I don't think that Bayern could really complain about being fourth, given the three teams that are above them right now. Um, Because I think that all three of these teams if they were to go up with Bayern Munich next week, I think all three of them will beat them.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's use that as a bounce off for the team. We've got a three who are currently Barcelona. Mm. And I think that in current form, they might be the most, might watch- be harsh. They might be the most watchable side in Europe. Yeah. Um, maybe it's from Girona, who are <laughs> behind them in the table, who actually genuinely might be the most watchable side in Europe. But what we've seen from Barcelona of late, you know, not only have there been the absolute thrashings that they've handed out to Real Betis and Antwerp in the Champions League, but also this kind of 10-minute comeback against Celta Vigo in La Liga at the weekend where they were 2-0 down at home in 80 minutes and they pulled out the win before it even ticked into the red for injury time. Um, <laughs> the influence of the Joao's has been spoken about a lot but it has really given a balance to this team I think um, and, and what we're seeing with that link up between Felix and Lewandowski is starting to get the best out of Lewandowski again he is now the top scorer in La Liga but also you know we, we've seen Cancelo come in what that means is that Kunde does doesn't have to play right back anymore he's delighted and yet to come back in but he's going to be delighted not to be playing right back as well, unless I assume it's Vinicius in which case I'm going to play him anyway, because that is what he does. But there feels like there's depth again in this Barcelona team. And even with Frankie de Jong and Pedri absent for the next couple of weeks, you kind of assume that Gavi, uh, Romeo, Gundogan are just going to have more than enough to get it through. And that's a really cool place to be, considering how much last year when Pedri was out of this side, he was like, oh, God, what are we going to do? We have no answers to anything when Pedri's not playing. And suddenly, you're, you know, you're looking at this and going, oh, actually, since Pedri's been out, we've maybe seen the best of Barcelona. And that's a really, really different place from where they were. They've managed to diversify. The Felix signing, I still think, is, is an absolute masterstroke. We're seeing a new Ferran Torres, the shark, who's decided that he, is, he has come to fight for his place. He's not giving this up. Rafinha after a, a kind of summer where it was all a bit traumatic in many ways, and there was talk of him leaving, has come back in, taken the eleven shirt and and, and been the guy in certain games. Obviously, he got sent off in the season opener, but he seems to starting to work his way back into this team now. Romeo seems to be the most sensible signing, I think, maybe of the summer in terms of what he offers in terms of defensive stability. And suddenly, this team just looks a whole lot better, a whole lot deeper and they're a whole lot of fun to watch again, which is great because Barcelona aren't playing at home this season. They're not playing at the Camp Nou. They are playing at the Olympic Stadium, week, and they were struggling at some points for in, in terms of audiences, in terms of getting people to, through the door. And all of a sudden they've started to play like this and everyone's like, cool, we should go and watch Barcelona. And And that's a massive thing for the club as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was obviously um playing at a different stadium was one of the reasons that I said they won't win La Liga this season. And obviously like that could that could definitely still be a narrative, but um yeah, there's there's uh, definitely a special feel about Barcelona right now that I wouldn't even try to deny. I mean, they they are um very impressive in so many different aspects. Like you say, the fact that they can force a comeback in such a short period of time is like the sign obviously of champions like that is just a mentality that can't be taught it's something there's a is belief about
0: them isn't there all of a sudden you're like oh you know whereas last year it all still felt a little bit like, oh this is quite new there is suddenly this sense that you're like oh Barcelona are here and they're not here to play anymore it, it this is real
2: Yeah, they're defending a title and in one-off games, look, we hopefully get to see them this season in the latter stages of the Champions League in the knockouts and we see how they do in actual head-to-heads against the biggest clubs. But, you know, if you were to go back through this list, if you go from Cincinnati all the way uh, up to Bayern Munich, Barcelona would see off every single one of those teams on the current form that they're on. Now, they might even, to be honest, see off the two teams above them, but I think there are... One or two reasons in each to suggest that they might not at the moment. And that's just because Barca are still growing, I think, as a team. And they can still be a little vulnerable. And I think that there still will be blips along the way um, in this season. Fortunately for them, they might be able to afford some blips along the way because Real Madrid are certainly not the force that they, they have been in past seasons. And, and they've going to have problems of their own. So, yeah, Barcelona, fantastic to watch. Six games they've played this season. They've got 16 points on the board. Uh, averaging 2.66 points a game um as i say like that that is pretty impressive it's the same uh to be fair as as sporting uh but this isn't a judgement that you make just on points alone that's why I, I found it interesting actually to draw out um and measure like how these teams are actually faring just in terms of actual stats but then to turn that into okay but what are the performances like what are the players like what are the differences between being sporting and being barcelona and i mean you've just highlighted a lot of it there and it's obviously just the individuals are just ridiculous
0: yeah um okay let's come on to number 2 where it, which is where i've put one of last year's champions league finalists you can guess where the other one is and um, this is where i've stuck inter um because yeah. they have started this season like a train and one of the things I think I've been most impressed about, and, and also, you know, we, we spoke about this, we talked about our five-by-fives, and Inter responded to that by absolutely demolishing Milan in the derby. And I think maybe the most impressive thing is that Inter lost some big names this summer, right? They lost Andrea Anana, they lost Skriniar, they lost Brozovic, they lost Dzeko, and they lost Lukaku. It's five players who all were big features, of last season's side that got to the Champions League final. And they seem to have got better. And that is absolutely unbelievable. It, it the, To be able to turn that around and turn those kind of losses into different aspects of a team that has managed to maybe diversify a little bit more, to bring in competition that seems to be getting the best out of people. You're looking at this side and going, Inzaghi is doing almost a miraculous job. You know, this is the, the kind of summer that Inter have just had. You know, Conte obviously was the person who started this Inter revolution, turned things around again and, and, and got them back on the right track. If Conte had just had the summer that Inzaghi had, he would have walked out of the club. <laughs> he would have walked out of the club. And instead, Inzaghi has actually turned this side into a team that feel even better than they were last year. And that is a remarkable, remarkable thing.
2: It is, yeah. Look, the Lautaro turam partnership is something that is uh, lighting up world football at the moment. I mean, both of those players seemingly like take it in turns to to decide that it's their day in the spotlight. But whoever it is, is brilliant. Turam's going to be a, a brilliant addition to that team. Um, obviously, uh, Di Marco came forward with that lethal left foot of his last week to make the difference for for and get them over the line. Like a, a just What's goal, a, a brilliant. It was an unbelievable goal. Um, Fantastic player. Um, They got that Derby win, which again, sets you apart. Like in terms of differentiating them from Barcelona, what we've seen Inter absolutely show their value in a big, big match. Like an absolutely blitz AC Milan 5-1. So again, that's something that sets them apart. In the league this season, Inter Milan have conceded one goal. Yeah, One goal from five games. Like, that is extraordinary. And obviously, like, their defensive options are ridiculous. I mean, you've got a Serbi, you've got uh, Bastone, Pavard, um, Dumfries, you've got Marco, um, you've got uh, De Vrij, um Damian. Like, they've got so many options. And they're all made of stern stuff. These Inter Milan players, like, mentally and physically, are built to resist. And that's what's really interesting. Now, the only blip... And probably the reason they're actually in at two and they're not in at one is when they try to get too, a bit too clever in the Champions League and they draw 1-0 at Real Sociedad and they bring some changes that probably weren't necessarily. They were kind they of battered one. in that game as well. I think it's, yeah. important, it's important to talk about this because they didn't
0: deserve a point. Real Sociedad absolutely ran them ragged. And the fact that they've nicked a point out of that is, is is another thing in their favor in that they've managed to turn something like that into a point when they were that bad is a mark of, of, of teams. And we always talk about this, right? Champions win and get points from games that they don't deserve to. They didn't deserve anything whatsoever from that game at Anoeta. And instead they've managed to come out of it and be like, yeah, okay, cool, sweet, we're uh, we're, we're all good. <laughs> and yet, you know, the, and these are the things. So yes, there are gaps, there are weaknesses. There are moments in that that you're going, mm-hmm. that was not the game for for Christian Oslani, for example. It was probably not the game for Anatovic. I thought Carlos Augusto has been a really interesting addition because he seemed to have pushed DeMarco onto even greater heights. But yeah. it did feel like Rosalstead were able to to dominate And it's, you know, you bear in mind, this is still a team with, you know, eight, nine starters in it from pretty much any other Inter squad. So it wasn't like there were too many changes. And I think the Aslani one in particular was a a misstep, but it it still had a lot of this first team in it. And, And that's the reason I was like, okay, can a team who are this good on the ball get through Inter with this kind of space? That's not a great look for them, um, and the way they couldn't really do a Baron chair playing a sort of a channel running nine instead of a, a kind of standard nine, if you will, of of someone like Andre Silva, it felt like they were they were just changing things up, and that ability that they they're going to need to be able to adapt to sides who do want to dominate the ball is maybe something that we we can look at, but it, it did feel like it, it did feel like the first real blip on the record for Inter this season. I thought.
2: Absolutely. And to be honest, that is, I think, what stops them from being in at number one. And at number one, it is another team who have a a 100% record. So Inter Milan have a 100% record domestically. So do PSV. Manchester City just have a 100% record, not just in the league, but in the Cups as well. And that's where this team are an absolute machine. They've already won the UEFA Super Cup. They saw off Sevilla on penalties. They've played their Champions League match. They've got the first win. 3-1, and they are 100% in the Premier League. They've got extraordinary goal power. They've got 13 goals in the last four matches. They've got all sorts of depth in every single area of the pitch. They've got potential to go on and and win the Champions League this season. They've got Pep Guardiola as manager. They've got Alvarez as the support act to Erling Haaland, who's the best goal scorer in world football. I don't think there are any flaws in this team, but if there are, We're about to find out because Rodri's red card at the weekend finally helps us discover what they do in such a situation. Can Calvin Phillips or another step into those shoes and keep this as the seamless winning machine that is Manchester City, that is set apart, that sets the standard across the board in world football. They are our leaders in this world super league of league leaders um, as it stands. And I can't see it changing. I just can't see anybody managing to overhaul Man City in terms of the consistency across the season. They might not manage to quite win the Champions League this season. But they'll still be the best team in Europe, won't they?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, we're recording this just before they play Newcastle in the League Cup, which looks like a banana skin, right? Um, especially yeah, that, we, I mean, that hundred percent
2: record could go there for sure. Um, even if it does, it's 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 the Carabao Cup. It's the it's the competition I would judge them on like the least. least of all. Yeah, yeah. So that's a fair point. To I'm glad you've actually flagged that up. But um, absolutely, it's 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 the least important competition um, for Manchester City this season. Um, look, Pep's but... talking
0: about problems, right? Pep's talking about the players that he has absent at the moment. He's got John Stones injured. He's got Bernardo Silva injured. He's got Mateo Kovacic injured. He's got Rodri suspended. And he's got perhaps the best playmaker in the world out for five months. And City haven't missed a step. Mm. And that's pretty remarkable. Like, you know, you look at the the way that they won the Champions League last year and it felt like that was a massive, you know, weight off their shoulders. As much as anything else, it was like, right, we've done it now. People can't throw that at us anymore. And whilst Pep's are there saying, oh, winning the Champions League is once is nothing. It doesn't matter. You know, you have to win it multiple times. I think just in terms of the way that everyone perceives it, it, it just takes that pressure off you know you spent all this money etc etc and look they've spent their money wisely which is something that the rest of the premier league continually fails to do um but when they've done those things you know you are expected to find your way to the top and they've been i think the best team in europe for the best part of the last five years and yet it took till last year to actually get over that final hurdle and win the champions league now that's gone you're kind of looking at it going well what's to stop city going invincible now it's obviously still more unlikely than it is likely because the Premier League is a funny beast and it throws up strange moments across the course of a season. But they are playing this well with this many players absent. Jack Grealish has been out for a, for a while. They brought in Noons in the summer, they brought in Gvardiol, they brought in Doku. They've changed the way that they play a little bit. Last year it was about, you know, maintaining those possession triangles about trying to make sure that they moved up the pitch as a unit. Now they have players who can break lines, who can really dribble through the heart of teams. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they develop. The fact that Alvarez is probably the second best striker in Europe right now (laughs) is comedy in many, many ways. Like the fact that he was brought in As a a player who was able to to dovetail with Erling Haaland, but also to replace him in certain games. And the way that he is playing right now, he is undroppable. It's absolutely unbelievable what City are putting together right now. And I think that when you look at all of this, considering the fact that they have these injuries and suspensions, it just makes for a team that I, I don't see who beats them over the course of any sort of. You can be knocked out of a cup, fine. I don't see who would beat them over the course of any sort of league season because they are that consistent and that good. And I think that they would win this league and that's why I have them at number one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just watch that Nottingham Forest game from the weekend and Nottingham Forest literally cannot get a touch of the ball before Man City are scoring a goal. It's absolutely remarkable keep ball. And then they spot one out ball. It goes over the top. Kyle Walker knocks it back. It's smashed into the... Like that moment, that goal in itself sums up the control that this team have in a football match, which is so, so hard to build an understanding like that. And Pep's just absolutely the master of it, obviously. But um, yeah, that's it, mate. Our world tour of league leaders. um, It's been a hell of a ride. Well, there you have it. Should we we go through the league one last time? We've got
0: City top, followed by Inter, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Sporting, PSV Eindhoven, Al Ittihad, FC Stad Brestois, uh, Botafogo and... FC cincinnati holding up the rear but it's a it's a very there's, there's little mini leagues in there that are very tight in the bottom four five and six um and then there's not much at the moment i don't think between the top three either so yeah, yeah. lots to lots to be excited about a lot of very interesting teams as we get into the heart of this new season so yeah it's been lots and lots of fun right off the break we have a couple of hot takes just to round this off so stick with us
3: For a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.
1: Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports.
0: Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC, or it's time for a couple of hot takes. We're going to start with a good friend of the podcast. We've actually got two good friends of the podcast today. We're going to go to our German football expert, Mr. Valentin. Here's what he's got to say today.
2: Hello, Valentin again. Varying observation. Dortmund strikers have only been able to score against the Regionalliga clubs so far this season. Massively out of form, Sebastian Aléa got dropped against Wolfsburg last weekend in favor of Niklas Füllkrug, talent Yusufa Moukoko is only third choice. In fact, the last time he started a Bundesliga game was this February. So, despite Mukoko sharing his love for BVB, telling us Edin Terzic is like a father for him, my hot take: soon he will leave the
0: Ruhrgebiet on a permanent transfer. What do you think? And
2: as always, up the ranks squad. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh. Yeah, I, go? I think, I think
0: Valentine's right. Yeah. I'm not I sure mean... it's that hot a take because I think it's pretty like actually considering his third choice and not getting that many minutes. It seems like a pretty reasonable thing to assume. And I wonder if Dortmund, I, the only bit about it that I think is really
2: hot is that, Will it be permanent?
0: I think they'll let him go on
2: loan somewhere. I mean, it's hot in the sense that I am asked a lot of transfer questions every single week for my job, and this is not one I've ever been asked about. And he hasn't been linked with anywhere significant I've seen. And if he's going to become available, there's going to be a lot of clubs looking for a player like this. Like, this would be an exciting transfer. Imagine this player landing at your club. Like Imagine him landing at Fulham. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I think it's probably fair because he isn't getting this, the opportunities there and he can't wait around. I think that is a good take. Like in the Dortmund world, it's probably not a hot take. But I think in the wider world, like with the expectations around him, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I'm going to look into it even. He's still only
0: 18. He turns 19 in November. So there is still plenty of scope. That's the reason I think that Dortmund won't let him go permanently right now mm. because it feels like he is such a, a talent such a prospect for the future there's an element of like ansu Fati coming in there here, is, isn't it? it's like can is someone going to take him on a straight loan with no option to buy because that's going to be what i'd imagine Borussia dortmund will want but whether he wants that and whether he's willing to wait around for those opportunities the signing of fulcrook this summer must have been a real blow to him right yeah. he must have looked at that and gone hang on i've already got loads of strikers here. Obviously, Daniel Marlin is there. Obviously, Adeyemi is there. Allaire is there. Now, they're all not the same type of player, obviously. Mm. But when you look at that and you look at you know what he's done, he's got you know, 12 goals or so, I think, for, for for Dortmund in the league in just under 60 appearances. He's kind of looking at this as, you know, uh, I'd imagine as a season where he's like, right, I'll, I'll get my chance when Allaire isn't ready. And, and they brought in... They've brought in the, 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 the signing of Fulkrug and you're like, mm, that's a bit of a pain. And I can understand it, obviously, because you don't want something to push them up further across the line from when they came so class, close last year. But I think that that might count against them in the long run here. I, I think it's a really interesting one.
2: Yeah, um, just while you were talking, then I've just quickly Googled this to see if there is any buzz around it. It says a report Borussia Dortmund not averse to selling Makoku for big fee. There you go. Sport Build say this could be. On the horizon. I am getting on the case. I'm going to find out who wants him. He's been linked in the past with Madrid, Liverpool, Barcelona, and Chelsea. Doesn't sound like he's got too much to worry about, even if he does end up leaving. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it.
0: All right, let's move on to our other hot take from today. And this comes from Portugal and Tommy. Hey guys, it's Tommy here, uh, reaching out from Lisbon. Long, long time listener. Just wanted to, to say thanks. to to all of you. It's really, really enjoyable to to hear you guys. Hot take that I have for you today is that it doesn't make sense that for national teams you can have a a coach that's a different nationality while players have to be, you know, from that country. So to me, it doesn't make sense that you can have a, a foreigner coach, but not players. So I think even the coach should have to be from the same uh, nationality, I think it would uh, it would be more interesting, and it would it would just make some sense. Yeah, that's what I that's what I have. Thanks. He's
2: right. Yeah,
0: he's bang on. Like, it's yeah, cheating. It's, it, it's cheating. I don't think it's cheating, but it, it is. I, I think that there is definitely an element of like if we are being if we are literally looking at international football, the last bastion of kind of purity of football. And it's really horrible saying that when we know what FIFA are like and we know how bad international football can be. But it is the last kind of, okay, you can't just you know force your way to the top through pure money. Now, obviously, if you have more investment in your national structure, et cetera, et cetera, fine. You can't buy players in. But I think if we're testing countries against each other, which is what it's said to do, then obviously your manager should be from that nation as well. I I think it's a – I really do – think it's a, a fair point i will also add that no world cup winning manager has ever not been from the country that won the world cup mm. like Aye. there is something in this that there is a, a bond formed bridges built that allows managers to get the best out of you know their own national team and i think there is something to be said that there is a reason why no world cup winning manager has ever come from a different nation and that's because it just works
2: I would love Pep Guardiola to be England manager, but it's cheating. I should have to have Eddie Howe. That's what should happen. And I have to accept that. Like if, why should England be able to be managed by a Spanish manager? They shouldn't. But, Obviously, if you're the FA and you've got to make a new managerial appointment, who would be your the guy you would really want to go for next? You'd go for Pep. You'd be like, right, he's transformed the Premier League. Let's see if he can transform our national team. Probably can, to be fair. But it shouldn't be allowed. It, it genuinely shouldn't. Um, and I'm willing to... Yeah, I've always thought this. I'd love to argue the point a bit more for why uh, you should be able to have an international manager. But I've literally spent the last 20 years saying that this shouldn't be the case. I didn't like it when Ericsson was at England. Didn't like it when Capello was at England. Didn't feel right. Did not feel right. And it had a weird feel to it. It felt like we had a celebrity manager. That's literally what it felt like. Um, And I I, I don't want it. Don't want it. Mm. Do you know, there's one, there's an exception to this rule in the European Championships.
0: Do you know who it is? Or do you know which country it was that won the Euros under a a foreign manager, if you will?
2: Oh, I probably should do, but I can't think off the top of my head. Go on. It was Greece in two
0: thousand and four, oh, yeah. where Otto Rehagel, who was a German, was at the helm um, of, of that side. But yeah, again, no one else has done it since the European Championships were in. You know, started in nineteen sixty. Crazy stat, that yeah, that's... it's a pretty wild thing. There's a little bit more mix up in in like the Copper America and yeah. Afcon, but. I think it's an, an interesting one to just, just to, to have a handle on, but yeah, I completely agree with Tommy and Tommy actually sent in four hot takes. So <laughs> I've got to say like, it, it, thank you to Tommy. There are more to come. Really, There's more to come. We've got more from Tommy. One of them I really like, and I, I think we'll bring it in a couple of, a couple of weeks. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll bring that one back. Uh, just a reminder that if you do want to get in your hot takes and have us discuss them, you do can it. send us to them or well, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, reach out to us either either us personally or the ranks account we check them every week to make sure that there's yeah. new ones in there so if you want to send them in send them in as a voice note please i think these are much Don't better be shy people
2: we know how many people listen to this podcast and there's more than two of you so we want <laughs> some more we, we need some more coming in come on be um, brave but-
0: But with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you to Valentin and to Tommy for sending those in. Thank you so much to our transfer group, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. We hope you've enjoyed our walkthrough of those 10 clubs and how they would rank in a worldwide Super League. And we will see you later on this week. Talking of having a South American influence on today's pod, we've got a big one on Friday as well. I'm going to be talking to Nathan Joys of the Copper Club podcast, who's going to be talking to me about five players who've moved from South America to Europe this year and who he thinks have a big future. It's a really, really good episode I'm really excited about you all hearing it that's going to be out on friday but for now thank you so much for listening and we will see you then gang take it easy peace final seconds of the game a chance to score and the chance has gone begging if your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities get the mvp you deserve get shopify slash ranks.